Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. Uh, the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. I recently heard a time management expert refer to everything we do with our time as being motivated by one of two issues. We're either motivated for gain in our lives or we're motivated to prevent pain in our lives. Do you agree or disagree with that? It's kind of interesting when you think about it, everything you do, you are either motivated for gain or motivated to prevent pain. Uh, on April 15th, when you pay your taxes, will you pay them for gain or to prevent pain? <laughs> it's to prevent pain, right? Like you don't want Mr. IRS man knocking on your door. Uh, if you like to hike tall mountains, for you going to Yosemite and hiking Half Dome, would that be for gain or to prevent pain? Now, there might be some pain involved, but it would be for gain because you just feel alive when you're climbing a mountain. Uh, we get our trash picked up at our house uh, every uh, Thursday morning. So every Wednesday night, I put our trash containers on the curb. Uh, is it for gain or to prevent pain? <laughs> we like to keep things like odor semi-tolerable at our house, so we're trying to prevent pain. If you send your kids to camp where they are sleep deprived and overdosed on sugar, do they do that for gain or to prevent pain? Now, while they may have the pain of headaches and stomach aches, uh, our kids are going to have gain because they're going to talk about the fun that they had at camp for the rest of their lives. Uh, the gains are what we remember. The gains are what we're going to remember when we're one day sitting in the corner of a nursing home in a wheelchair with our pampers on. We're not going to think back of the times that we took out the trash. We're not going to think about the times we uh, prevented uh, pain by all those hundreds of things that we had to do on our, our to-do list every day. The majority of our life is spent doing those kinds of things. But the things that we're gonna remember are the things that led to gain. Those things are never urgent, but they are the most significant things. Now today we're gonna to look at Matthew 28, starting at verse 16. And this passage begins with some words that on the surface seem very innocuous. Uh, Matthew 28, 16 simply says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, notice the number, 11. What's wrong with that number? It's too small, isn't it? It used to be 12, now it's 11. These guys are hurting and they're disillusioned because they had a friend who betrayed them. They had a friend who sold them out. They had a friend who was now likely uh, on his way to take his own life by suicide. And if you've ever lost someone that you love to suicide, you know how complex that death is to grieve and the questions that just last for years. On top of that, Jesus, who has risen from the dead, is about to leave the earth. 
And I'm convinced these 11 guys are in pain avoidance mode right now. I'm convinced they're tempted to uh, pull back, to play it safe, to spend their evenings watching Netflix with a beer in one hand and a remote control in the other. But Jesus comes along and on this mountain, he gives them a far greater challenge that day. These words are the final words of Jesus that are recorded for us before he is ascended into heaven. Like these are his parting instructions before he ascended into heaven. This was what was on his heart most. This was what he considered most important. This is what Jesus said to these 11 guys and to all of his followers for all time and all places. Jesus said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now with those words right there, Jesus sent out these guys, most of whom had no formal education, no cultural standing. He sent them to go and spread his love and his grace and his hope and his purposes to people who were far from him. And they seem like such unlikely candidates to go change the world. But you know what? They did it. They went and they changed the world. They simply loved people in the most incredible ways. They turned the world upside down. And over 2000 years later, we're still talking about these guys. In fact, I would not be standing here in this room where our church is going to gather for the first time next week if it were not for those 11 guys who gave their lives uh, to a cause for great gain. And the reality is Jesus is calling us today to go and make disciples the same way that he called his followers 2000 years ago. And the gospel spreads today the same way it did over 2000 years ago. When one follower of Jesus gets so convinced that the life Jesus offers really is the pearl of great price that he or she goes to tell someone else. The gospel spreads one life at a time. That's how it's been happening for over 2000 years from the New Testament right to our day. Those words of Jesus known as the Great Commission are really at the heart of what those of us who started Blue Oak sensed God saying to us uh, a little over 12 years ago. We sense them saying, I want you to raise the level of risk associated with reaching people far from God in the Bay Area. Like deep in the DNA of Blue Oaks is a conviction that introducing spiritually unconnected people to the God who gave his son for them and leading them into Christ-centered living is the highest calling on the planet. It's the cause that will outlive us all. It's the one thing that has been on the heart and soul of Blue Oaks from the very beginning. It's the value in this church that says we will invest in and invite unchurched people to a place where they can hear about and start a relationship with Jesus. And that is this place uh, starting next week. And my concern is not that Blue Oaks is not going to raise the level of risk associated with preaching people far from God. Of course, we're gonna do that because that's who we are, that's in our DNA. But here's my concern. And it's at the heart of what I really wanna to talk to you about today. 
My biggest concern isn't whether or not Blue Oaks will raise the level of risk associated with reaching people far from God. My biggest concern is whether or not Matt Van Cleve will raise the level of risk associated with reaching people far from God in his life. And I'm just trying to be as transparent with you as I can. My biggest concern is that I can be so busy doing spiritual things, church-related things, that I can go right by my neighbor's door and without any guilt at all, go to my church work where I can spend 50 hours or more a week planning and praying and studying and meeting and connecting and doing pastoral work. I can spend my week doing that and not giving a thought, not feeling bad that I've never knocked on the door, never feeling bad that I've never had a conversation, never extended a hand, never like entered into a significant uh, spiritual conversation with someone far from God. And as a result, Matt Van Cleve can end up being the chief hypocrite in the church. I can stand here and tell people that Jesus says we need to raise the level of risk and go. And yet personally, I may not be investing in anyone's life or overflowing with God's love for them. That's the risk I run every single day of my life. And you know what? So do you. And ultimately, it doesn't really matter if Blue Oaks Church is raising the risk factor to reach people far from God, near as much as it matters if I am personally and you are personally raising the risk factor to reach people far from God. It doesn't matter how much our church believes everyone matters to God. What matters is, do they matter to, to you? Do they matter to me? The problem in our day is far too many churches are filled with Christians who spend virtually all their time with other Christians. Like they're not significantly connected with people who are far from God. And in too many cases, they try to design their lives that way. They try to arrange things so that uh, in their work or in their neighborhood or recreation or whatever, they're just surrounded by Christians. And that's not a good thing. It's not a victory for the kingdom of God. Joe Aldrich, who has written a lot on this, he wrote, after being a Christian for two years, the average Christian no longer has a single significant relationship with a non-Christian. And what's really sad about this is that sometimes churches learn to accept this. And I just wanna be very, very clear on this point because I've heard leaders from other churches say things like, you know, we're not gonna pander to non-Christians around here. We're not gonna try to be accessible or relevant to them. We're into depth. We're into maturity around this church, not non-Christians. And they have very churchy cultures and they have very churchy music and they're very inaccessible to people who are far from God and far from producing people of true depth, people that are characterized by love and joy and peace, the peace of Christ. Some of these churches produce some of the most arrogant, self-righteous, legalistic people in the world, and that is not God's plan. Who is the most spiritually mature person that ever lived? It's not a trick question. Uh, the teacher of a Sunday school class asked a group of little kids, what's brown and furry, climbs trees and eats nuts? And the kids looked at each other with kind of a confused look on their faces and no one answers. Uh, finally, a kid raises his hand and says, well, I guess the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> it was not a trick question. 
Like Jesus was the most spiritually mature person who ever lived. And at the same time, Jesus was the most approachable person who ever lived. He loved people who were far from God. And he didn't just love them because it was his job to love them. He actually liked them. He liked being with them. He sought them out and they sought him out. You just couldn't keep Jesus and those who were far from God apart. He was like a magnet to them. And that was his plan for you and me, for his followers. And it's just really about that simple. If you love Jesus, you'll love the people he died for. And conversely, anytime you see a church or an individual that claims spiritual maturity, but gives no evidence of love or passion for people who are far from God, it's not spiritual maturity. Authentic spiritual growth always leads to great passion and concern for people who are far from God. And what we need to do is we need to learn to develop relationships with unchurched people, people who are far from God. And primarily this just involves learning to be with people who don't know God the way that Jesus would be with them. That really is all there is to it. And that's what I wanna talk with uh, you about today. I wanna walk through what it's like to be like Jesus with people who are far from God. Uh, now I know right away when I say, raise the level of risk personally, go, with, go be with people who are far from God, like go knock on a door and extend a hand. All of a sudden the, the weirdo meter goes up and you think, I don't wanna look like a spiritually crazy person. Check this out. It can be intimidating to go next door. Don't do it like that. <laughs> I have to show you one more. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, burying your cat, Mr. Bootsy. I loved Mr. Bootsy. I guess you love Mr. Bootsy too, huh? Because he's your cat. Well, was your cat. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't you come to church with me? Because all cats go to heaven, and if you go to church with me, you can find out what happened to Mr. Bootsy. 
I don't think that's the way it works. Yeah, I think it is. No, that's accurate. I don't think it is. That's what happens. I don't think it does. All cats go to heaven. It's not the way it works. Are you calling me a liar? So do you want to go to church with me? You know, every time I've taken a risk to knock on a door or to extend a hand, I found that behind every door is a story. Behind every door is someone who matters to God and behind every door is a story to be told. Jesus said in the Great Commission in verse 19 to go and make disciples of all nations. And more literally, the translation of that word go would be as you are going, as you're living your life, as you're in your neighborhood, as you're in the park, on the plane, riding on the train, on the golf course, in the marketplace, as you go, live your life in such a way that people eventually want to know more about the one you follow. And one day, maybe some of them will even become followers of Jesus Christ too. And did you notice Jesus talks about making disciples of all nations? Uh, the Greek word is literally all uh, ethnos. Uh, what English word do we get from the word ethnos? Ethnic. Jesus is saying to raise the level of risk to reach people of all ethnic groups, of all skin colors. One thing that's true about where I live, where we are as a church, is our area is increasing in diversity. And a vision that I have that I think is real close to the heart of God is to truly reflect in our church the ethnic diversity in our community. And I hope you can get behind that vision. And if you can, we're gonna have to raise the level of personal risk. We're gonna have to have the courage to knock on a door. We're gonna have to have the courage to extend a hand, to be a friend, to build a relationship, and to love. I'll let you in on a little secret. Uh, the key to opening the door is acceptance. Jesus just exuded a spirit of acceptance every day of his life. Anyone who came along, even if Jesus uh, disagreed with them, even if uh, he had problems with their lifestyles, like with their moral choices, he still accepted them. Why? Because acceptance opens the door for influence. As human beings, we're drawn to environments and relationships of acceptance. Conversely, we move away from relationships where we feel rejection. Kind of like the elderly lady who never married and shortly before her death, she requested that no male pallbearers be at her funeral. She said, they wouldn't take me out when I was alive and I don't want them to take me out when I'm dead. <laughs> we are acceptance magnets. Like we gravitate toward environments where we feel accepted and we move away from relationships and environments where we don't. Jesus was the most accepting and approachable person who ever lived. Jesus would go to parties at tax collectors' houses. Jesus went to dinners attended by prostitutes. Jesus went to the country of Samaria where no respectable religious leader would ever go. Jesus went to every kind of people. And you know what I think a problem is? Like we hear those stories and 
uh, we know them about Jesus and sinners, and, but we just, they lose their impact. And we forget the prostitutes that he was with. They, like, they really did sell their bodies for sex, lowering the moral standards of a nation. The tax collectors that Jesus hung out with, they really were corrupt traitors who sold out their own people for money. Jesus was with and loved people who were far from God. And you and I have to do this. We've got to agree not to make our primary aim in life to socialize only with other Christians. Now, let me say this. For most people, this does not mean so much that you have to start doing new things or going to new places. For most people, this means we just need to start forming relationships in, in circles where you already find yourself. Do this in a way that fits your world. For example, my son Ezra plays soccer, and so we spend a lot of time with families of the boys on his team. You can find, a, find out a lot about the spiritual condition of someone's heart just by watching how they respond when their kids are playing soccer. And I've cultivated relationships and kind of struck up meaningful conversations about family and parenting and just by caring for the people while I'm doing what I would already be doing anyway. Maybe it's going to the gym. Like go for not just the purpose of getting into shape, but go to get to know some people who desperately need what you have to offer them. Have neighbors over for dinner. It's gonna look different for everyone, but it really is possible. Spend time where people are far from God because they're all over the place. And we need to be reminded that the highest risk we take is not when we invite someone to attend a Blue, Oak Ch a Blue Oaks Church service. The highest risk that we take is when we knock on a neighbor's door or when we reach out a hand of friendship for the very first time. So let me ask you, why do you think we hesitate to do that? Why? The most consistent thing that we hear, that we hear from people, and it doesn't sound very spiritual, it's just the truth, more often than not, people say, I just don't have the time. And you know what? They really don't. In research on Bay Area people, we're finding there is a waning number of us who really know our neighbors. And it's not that we don't want to know our neighbors, like people do. And we want to have conversations of substance. It's not that we lack courage. It really isn't. It's not that we lack heart. It's just that we don't have time. We see it all the time. You know, take the average Blue Oaks family. Dad is working, mom is working. They have three kids involved in three or four different activities each, soccer and dance and basketball and band on top of all the honors courses they're taking. And you throw in a few hobbies and family gatherings and workouts and life just gets harder and harder and exponentially more complex. And then you throw in church. And my concern for you and my concern for me is that we would be so inundated with activity that we wouldn't be investing in anyone's lives outside the church because we just don't have time. Sometimes the church can be guilty with all the activities and ministries that are going on of pulling you away from the very people that God wants you to influence. I need more time among my neighbors. You need more time among your neighbors. It's in the neighborhood where your neighbors slept last night. It's in the neighborhood where families are trying to figure out life. It's in a neighborhood where singles are looking for relational connection and belonging. It's in a neighborhood where uh, people eat their meals. It's in a neighborhood where 
The early church gathered in homes. It's in a neighborhood where the early church broke bread and ate together. It's in a neighborhood where the church became so magnetic that people uh, wanted the joy and the love and the strength and the, you know, and the peace that the followers of Jesus just overflowed with and the neighbors couldn't stay away from it. I'm convinced that the more we get out into our neighborhoods, the more risks we will take and the more doors we will knock on and the more conversations of substance will be had and the more stories will be told. You may remember the day when you first walked through the doors of a church. Maybe you went kicking and screaming, you lost a bet or something and you had to go to church. But what happened to you there? But your soul softened and your heart melted and God got your attention and maybe you stepped across the line of faith and maybe you were baptized and maybe you were taught and you discovered that you had spiritual gifts that God could use and you were moved to respond to a, a world in need and you became a follower, a disciple of Jesus. And it's not an understatement for you to say, God changed my life in his church. What if one day in our future as a church, hundreds of thousands of people all over the Tri-Valley could make that statement. And it all began on the day when someone took a risk and knocked on a door, uh, put, their, put their hand out and said, hi, I'm your neighbor. I really believe that can happen if we raise the level of risk to personally knock on a door, extend a hand, and if we really believe that behind every door is a story. I'll tell you, uh, what I think is the biggest illusion about a church like Blue Oaks, especially at this point in our church's uh, history, uh, the biggest illusion is that you build a building like this and or you start a church service like we're going to start here next week and it will just draw people to it by itself. It's the field of dreams mentality. If you build it, they will come. Um, and a lot of people have that idea about church. If you build it, they will come. It doesn't work that way. They will not come if a friend does not invite them. Like most people who are far from God don't wake up on Sunday morning saying, man, I just wish there was a church somewhere around here that I could go to. I think I'll just drive around until I find one. That's just not on their minds. This church place, this place, this building, the church services that we provide here I mean, they will only be effective if it's a, a tool in the hands of those who are cultivating relationships with people who are far from God. And it's crucial for us to understand that. Almost every person who comes to this church next week will be because someone invited them. We are an invitation-dependent community. It's just a truth about us. Not only that, but Christianity is an invitation-dependent faith. It always has been. I mean, go back to the beginning of the Gospel of John, chapter one. Andrew meets Jesus and his world is turned upside down. The next thing he does is go to Peter and the text says, and he brought him to Jesus. He brought Peter to a place where Peter could find out about Jesus. And then we read about Philip and Philip meets Jesus and his world is changed. And he goes to Nathaniel and says to Nathaniel, come and see. I want you to come to a place where you can learn about Jesus. That's what Christians do. Christ's followers for over 2,000 years have been going after people and bringing them to a place where they can learn about Jesus. Come and see. You just gotta come and see. And when they do, amazing things happen.
Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, to go and make disciples of all nations, all peoples, all ethnic groups, all your neighbors. And then he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, because they have a God who loves them far more than they are aware. And the Son, because Jesus went through an incredible extent to give grace to them and of the Holy Spirit, because they have a God who longs to walk with them through their lives. And I long for you to have the experience at least one time in your life of seeing a person who you took a risk with, of seeing a person whose door uh, you knocked on, who you became a friend with, and you loved and you influenced and you accepted. I long for you to have that experience of watching that person be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that is living life for great gain. And in that moment, you will know that you took a risk that was worth it. And it was uh, all for great gain. Like this is why God made you. It's aligned with his purposes for your life. I hope when you see people being baptized, that it will like dare you to raise the level of risk in order to hear more life-changing stories. I mean, there's nothing in the world like that joy that we see on people's faces when they rise up from the waters of baptism. I mean, there's nothing you could do in your life that is more important than that. I mean, you cut business deals, you get more dollars in a bank account, you go on some great trips. They're merely pictures on a page in a scrapbook. But when you sense God used you to raise the risk and knock on a door and extend a hand and lead someone into a relationship with God, the God who made them, I mean, you're gonna get emotional every time you tell that story for the rest of your life. Like there's nothing like it in the world. And I long for you to have that experience at least one time in your life. But we've got to raise the risk and we've got to really believe that behind every door, there is a story. And the last thing I wanna encourage you with is be persistent. In one of the stories Jesus told about growth in the kingdom, he said, it's like a sower who goes out and sows seed. Some of it falls on real hard ground on the path and it gets eaten up by the birds. Some of it falls on real shallow soil where uh, there's no uh, depth underneath, there's just rock underneath it and, and not much happens. Some of it falls on real cluttered soil and it gets uh, choked out, it tries to grow, but there's no, no fruit. And you would think by this time the sower would give up, <laughs> but the sower doesn't give up. He just keeps sowing. And sooner or later, some of it falls on good soil and when that happens, Jesus says, watch out. This week is a great opportunity to extend an invitation. And you know, maybe you've been inviting people to Blue Oaks. And I'm so, so proud of you if you do. And maybe for you, what happens is, is you invest and you pray and you invite and you get someone to come, but then results don't happen the way that you hoped. Maybe the, uh, they're resistant to coming back or maybe it feels like the door to their heart isn't opened like one inch wider and you're tempted to get discouraged. Maybe it's someone you really love and you're tempted to think, you know, I must have done something wrong or I said something wrong or I didn't pray enough or God just didn't come through like he's supposed to. Here's the deal from Jesus's story. Your job and my job is to sow the seed. Your job is not to make the growth happen. You think about failure, like all the failure that Jesus experienced, you know, he drew huge crowds. Most of them faded away. 
In John 6, it says, uh, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him, and he watched them leave. The religious leaders of his day were such bad sowers that they had him crucified. His own disciples deserted him. His own family questioned him. I mean, the whole crowd taunted him. And you would think on the cross, Jesus would be wondering if any of these seeds really took. Would there ever be any fruit? He's on the cross and one thief next to him says to him, why don't you save yourself and us? He just mocks him. And on the other side of him, there's a thief, a criminal, who rebuked the first thief and turned to Jesus and said, would you remember me? And Jesus sows one more seed. Jesus says, this day you will be with me in paradise. He's hanging on a cross and he finds some good soil on the cross next to him. With his last breath, he throws one more seed. He just couldn't stop sowing. So don't get discouraged. We need to just expect that there is going to be failure. Like you are going to spread a lot of seed on a lot of bad soil. Don't beat yourself up for it. Just expect it. Jesus's story is like three examples of bad soil to one good one. And that ratio may be about right, but you don't quit sowing seed because maybe the next one, maybe that next one is gonna take root. And you know what? You're not alone when you do that. Jesus promised that he will be involved when we actually take these kinds of risks. I like the last part of this passage. Jesus says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, I will be with you. I will give you power. I'll give you words that are not your own as God uses you to touch one life at a time, one neighbor at a time, one uh, family member at a time. But you've got to raise the level of risk and you've got to trust me. So I'm challenging you. Raise the risk. Knock on a door. Sit on a lawn chair out in front of your yard and drink lemonade. See what God does. And trust that the Holy Spirit that Jesus said would be with you will be with you. Watch God work in your midst, midst to, to reach the people who are far from God. Let me just say one more word about this. Uh, maybe you're the neighbor and you're saying now, aha, now I know what Blue Oaks is about. You know, sometimes people think, you know, isn't this really a form of just using people? You know, for I just pretend to be nice to someone to kind of get a spiritual commitment out of someone that's not the idea like the idea is not i pretend to be nicer than i really am to make a, a a sale or something and i hope this person converts soon so that i can go back to being my normal nasty self because it's a pain being nice all the time and the idea is just to love people and if i really genuinely care for someone or if i really want to if I really do believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the pearl of great price that I've staked my whole life on, well then of course my deepest prayer will be for that person to receive the greatest gift a person can receive. You know, there's a huge difference between genuinely loving someone and sharing with them what authentically matters most to me versus using people to score like brownie points as a way to demonstrate my spiritual passion. I pray that God keeps us from that. People know when they're being used. All right, let me pray for you. God, I pray that you would help me individually and us as a church, those who are listening, to raise the level of risk in their lives, to meet their neighbors, to extend a hand, to, to greet someone, to, to make a friendship. 
And I pray that you would open the doors in those relationships so that we can talk about spiritual things, so that we could talk about what matters most. And God, would you help us to have the courage, help us to make the time and the space in our lives to do this work so that we can invest in people who are far from you and we can invite them to a place where they can uh, hear and know about your love for them that could potentially change their lives the way that it did ours. God, would you use us in this way? Use us in a powerful way, God. We're available to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.